For our explanation of the sixth commandment tonight, we're going to read scripture in two different places. Let's begin reading in the New Testament in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, part of the Sermon on the Mount. In this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really preaching on the Ten Commandments, and this is his own exposition of the Sixth Commandment. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Then turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 16. Second Samuel, chapter 16, we'll read there verses 5 through 13. Second Samuel 16, 5 through 13. David is here fleeing from Absalom, who has entered into the city of Jerusalem and taken over the palace. Second Samuel 16, verse 5. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family out of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David and at all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed. Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, 
and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hill's side over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. On the basis of those passages and many others throughout sacred scripture, the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us the meaning of the sixth commandment. It does that in Lord's Day 40, which you'll find on page 22 and 23 in the back of the Psalter. What doth God require in the sixth commandment? That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willingly expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge and that he accounts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No, for when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt, as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Beloved of God, we live in a violent and murderous world. A CBS report recently stated that every 90 seconds, someone somewhere in the world is murdered. That's not every 90 seconds someone dies. That's every 90 seconds someone is murdered. If that's true, that means that while we are here in this worship service this evening, throughout the world, somewhere around 85 people will be murdered. That same report said that every 40 seconds, somewhere in the world, somebody murders themselves. That is, every 40 seconds, somewhere on this planet, there is a suicide. If that's true, then while we are sitting here tonight, 
throughout the world, 135 people will kill themselves. And if that's not shocking enough, although there is one person murdered every 90 seconds in this world, and someone kills themselves every 40 seconds somewhere in this world, every 30 seconds, a mother kills the child in her own womb somewhere in this world. And since that's true, that means that as we sit here tonight, 180 unborn children will be aborted throughout the world. I say again, we live in a violent and murderous world. What explains this? What explains such violence, such murder, such thirst for blood? Where does this come from in humanity? That's where I want to begin tonight as we examine the command of God that forbids murder. We'll do that under the theme, the sin of murder. Notice first the root of that sin, the heart and the hatred that lives in the heart of humanity. Second, the revelation, that is, the outward revelation of that inward heart of hatred and anger. How does that reveal itself in thoughts, rather, in words and in deeds? And then third, we'll see the rescue of Christ and His Spirit and the gospel, the sin of murder, the root, the revelation, and the rescue. The explanation, ultimately, for the violence and the murder of this world is that the depraved heart of man has, as one component of that depravity, hatred, an evil hatred. The human heart is filled with an evil hatred. And that evil hatred is the root of all violent words, actions, and even the actions of taking another life. That's why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, which we read, that all wicked violence and all murder is ultimately hatred in the heart verses 21 and 22, where he said the sixth commandment forbids not only external killing, but the root of that killing, anger, hatred in the heart. 1 John 3 verse 15 says the same thing when it says, whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. That person hasn't killed anybody, but he has hated his brother in his heart. And because the root of actual external murder is this heart hatred that lives within the nature of man. The Scripture accounts hatred as a kind of murder. Question and answer 106 is correct then when it uses that word causes 
The causes of murder, the root issue, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. Our anger, hatred, out of the heart are the issues of life. That heart that God commands be filled with love for Him and love for others and a right kind of love for ourselves has within it hatred for Him, hatred for others, and hatred also of ourselves. In order to come to the right rescue in the third point of the sermon, we have to start with the right problem. Get to the heart of the issue. Get the right diagnosis down in the first point of the sermon. If your car won't start, and you go to diagnose the problem, and you determine that it's because your speedometer is broken, and so you go fix your speedometer, you haven't diagnosed correctly, and that's why your car still doesn't start. The problem has to be seen and faced head on. This is why, in the end, the world can never get a hold of the issues of the Sixth Commandment that it wants to get a hold of. Of course, there's issues with the Sixth Commandment that it doesn't want to get a hold of, abortion being one of them. But in the ones that it wants to get a hold of, it can't quite get a handle on it. Why is that? It's because they never get to the heart of the diagnostic problem. Always the notion is that man is essentially loving in himself. His nature is utterly loving. And if just left to himself, he would be loving. The issue is purely external for man. It's only environmental. It's not a problem of his nature. While, of course, a person's environment has something to say about anger, hatred, and violence, a certain kind of environment will inflame that nature that is within. And another kind of environment may allow it to not be inflamed quite as much. Nonetheless, the issue is that in the heart of man lies this hatred and this anger. And the diagnosis never takes this into account. And so the idea always is just change the environment. And that will always fix the problem. And so, to use an example, if it seems like people are scared of the police, well, that's the environmental problem that's causing violence and murder. So let's defund the police. And that will fix the problem. Change that environment. and That will solve the issue. And then, of course, in the cities where they do that, the violence increases. For example, in Minneapolis, 40% increase in violence. The issue is in the heart of man that in him is a hatred. Just look at the nature of man before the fall and after the fall. Before the fall, there was no death. After the fall, 
and the nature that is passed down from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel. What is the first great sin that occurs after the fall? What arises in Cain's heart is hatred in his nature, and he kills his brother Abel. The fallen nature is a nature that has hatred within it. Hatred is a loathing, a detestation that desires and even wills the hurt or destruction of the object of hatred. A loathing, a detestation that desires and can even get to the point where it wills the hurt or destruction of the object of hatred. But be careful a minute. All hatred is not in itself wrong. In fact, the concept of hatred itself is not an evil thing. Hatred itself is not an effect of the fall. That's why I said towards the beginning of this sermon, evil hatred. There is a right kind of hatred. What is an effect of the fall is that we hate the wrong things. We hate what we should love, and we love what we should hate. Our loves and our hates are disordered by the fall. Psalm 97 verse 10 teaches that there is a righteous kind of hatred. It says if we love God, we will hate sin. We'll hate evil. And Adam and Eve did before the fall. They hated evil before the fall. That was part of their defense of the garden. Hate the evil, Adam and Eve, and defend the garden from it because you hate it. And when that hatred of evil was chipped away at by the devil, then it fell into sin. And after the fall, this is the problem with us, isn't it? Our hates and our loves are disordered within us. If we hated evil like we should, we wouldn't sin because we hate it. But our hates and our loves are mixed up. They're disordered. And we love ourselves more than anything else in that nature. And therefore we hate the things that limit ourselves. We hate the things that would rub up against us and prevent us from getting what we want, accomplishing what we want, from carrying out our plans, from feeling the way that we want to feel. And ultimately, when that love of self expresses itself in hatred for the things that limit me in what I want for myself. I'm hating him. Can you admit that? It's hard to say. But who put that person in my life with their annoying personality? Who does this or that all the time? It drives me nuts that I boil with him. Am I not boiling at him ultimately? Who said in his sovereignty, that person will be in your life right now and will limit you, will put limits on what you want for yourself. person at work who gets on our nerves and the heart starts to build up 
with his anger towards this person. They did it again. They said it again. I can't believe they said it again. And it's hatred, beloved. It's not too strong a word to use. It is hatred. It's not all we have towards them as believers. But there is hatred there. And ultimately, it's hatred expressed at God who put them there in my life. Some husbands, some wives have hatred against their spouses. It's not the only thing that they have with respect to their spouse. But they hate them with respect to this or that because it rubs up against them. It limits me in what I want for this or that or how I want to feel about this or what I want to do about this. Ultimately, that hatred is hatred of him who put this spouse with these gifts and these lack of gifts and with this personality and with these sins in my life next to me as husband or wife. A teenage girl who has hatred in her heart for that other girl who is prettier than her, who is more gifted than her, who gets more attention than her. It's not the only thing she has toward her, but it's there, and ultimately that hatred is against God who gave those things to that person and not to me. Or vice versa. The girl who has it all And here's this person who's not quite up to standard and they think they can be friends with me and they can spend time in my friend group. Who do they think they are? And I despise them for that and I despise God for putting them in my life. And so the lashing out and the desire to hurt or to cut down is ultimately a desire to destroy what God himself has done It's a hatred of God's own sovereignty in my life who arranged things in my life this way. It's an expression of the fact that I would love to have absolute control over my life and determine everything for my life, but I can't. Then I wouldn't have any limits. There'd be nothing that would limit me, I think, to myself. I could do what I want. I could get what I want. I could feel the way that I could feel. And because I can't control my life this way, and he is, and he's controlling it in a way that's limiting me and what I want and how I want to feel, then I'm mad at him for controlling it in a way different than I would have controlled it. People's hatred of themselves is no different, is it? Hatred of sin within us is a good thing. That's a righteous hatred. But some of us perhaps struggle with hatred of our own body or hatred of our own lack of giftedness or hatred of our own personality or hatred of our circumstances in life. It is not that hatred, let's be honest about it, beloved, it is not that hatred ultimately directed against Jehovah God in whose sovereignty this body came to be, these gifts or lack thereof, this personality, these circumstances. If it's true that every 40 seconds someone commits suicide, 
But oh, the compassion that we ought to feel for that person. Can you imagine the circumstance and pain in a person's life that that is what they believe is the way out? Oh, there must be compassion, beloved. And yet at the same time, we have to say that every single time that happens is because in the heart there is hatred against God for what He has made me to be or the life He has given me to live. Do you see? It's not merely the environment around us that produces anger and hatred within us. It's not merely the circumstances outside of us, external to us, that lead us to words that are murderous or or actions or violence to injure others or to injure ourselves. Those things are merely the occasion that inflames what is there in the nature. It gives an open space. It incites the hatred that is inside of us in that old man so that it expresses itself. And every time, no matter where that hatred is directed, ultimately, it's directed at him who is in control of my life. This hatred within the heart and nature divides itself into various other heart motions. Just like light divides itself when it goes through a prism. So that white light divides into various other colors. So hatred, when it goes through different circumstances of life, it divides itself into various forms of heart Sins. The Catechism lists some of these in question and answer 106. Envy, anger, desire for revenge. Envy. Envy is a kind of hatred. Another person is prospering in some way that I want to be prospering. And I'm not prospering in that way. And so my desire is to either bring myself to that position, but even more than that, I want to bring them down and then bring myself into that position. Not so that I share that position with them, but so that I have it and they don't. It wants a certain destruction. Because I want to be viewed like that and not them. And God's not allowing me to, and so I envy this person. It's a kind of hatred of them. Anger. Angry person at root is dealing with hatred of God and his or her soul. Hatred of what God has given to him or her in their life, in his sovereignty. And that anger boils because he's limiting me in some way that I did not want to be limited. And it's ultimately at him. Desire of revenge is an aspect of hatred too. I've been insulted or offended in some way, limited by this person and what they did to me. And I I hate this person for insulting me, for offending me, and I want their destruction. And so revenge whelms up in me. I will get them back. And maybe I'll get them back even worse. And if I can do it in some way where nobody else sees, 
and I don't have to suffer the consequences for it, fine. And I'll store up the hurt until I can express it at the right time and I'll, and I'll mull it over in my head just what I'm going to say, just when the opportunity comes. We'll see how great they think they are after this. And even if the revenge only comes out, beloved, outwardly expresses itself in words, words like Jesus gives in Matthew 5, thou fool or raka, Children, raka means idiot or empty head. It flows from a heart that hates what God himself ultimately has put into my life and therefore is counted as murder before him and really an attempt to murder him that I might gain control. Anyone see something of their own sin? In any of this, your own old man, your own nature that is within you yet. Maybe we better say it, beloved, admit it here tonight. I have murder in my heart, God, and hate in my nature. Out of this root of hatred and its other forms, envy, anger, desire of revenge, out of these heart issues in the nature, come forth outwardly all the various offenses against the sixth commandment that the child of God himself falls to too. Out of the hatred of his heart, he disobeys, he reveals what is within him by words or by actions. Who can be guilty? A child of God can be guilty. God forbid it, but can be guilty of even the most extreme offenses, outward offenses against the sixth commandment by the taking of a life out of the hatred of the heart. Although I don't think that anybody here is contemplating murdering someone else. There are at least two instances where the child of God too can become very tempted to even take a life out of the hatred of the heart. The first is when in the right circumstances the child of God may be tempted to have an abortion. I pray that no one in this room has done this. But there are some of God's people who have fallen to this sin. There are young people in Christ's church who have fallen into this sin. Having fallen into the sin against the seventh commandment, and become pregnant, and not wanting to endure the shame of that, are tempted to fall to sin against the sixth commandment too, and to terminate that pregnancy, to end it, who will know. It's legal in the state of Michigan. They don't have to tell your parents. Who will know? You take a pill afterward, and if you're not in time... You can go take care of it even later than that. 
Or perhaps, heaven forbid this would ever happen. But if one of the daughters of the church becomes pregnant by a rape, would we be tempted to look at that situation and to say, there, there, an abortion is legitimate. You wouldn't want one of our young girls to carry the child of a rapist, to give birth to that child and to look at that child hold that child in her arms and to think about those horrible circumstances that produced this child, to see that face that reminds them perhaps of their rapist. And beloved, of course, understanding the pain of this circumstance too, tremendous pain and the compassion and the sympathy, we and especially our young people must hear from the Word of God that abortion is not the way out of difficult circumstances in your life as these, desperate though they might be. Whether they're due to your own sin in the first place or the sin of another against you. So desperate the situation is. And it looks easy, like this can take care of it. But abortion is murder. God's word is unequivocal. The life begins at conception. In Luke 1, verse 41, God's word speaking of John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb before Jesus. Doesn't say the fetus leapt or the tissue or the collection of cells leapt, but the babe. This is a babe. A human being. Regenerate too. Leaping at the presence of Jesus. God's word additionally actually applies the sixth commandment to the killing of an unborn child. In the Old Testament already, Exodus Exodus 21 verse 22, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, he shall surely be punished. Why shall he surely be punished? Because that's a life, that's a human being He wouldn't be punished if it's just a collection of cells. It's a human being. Add to that the fact that we can apply this litmus test of what lies at the root of sins against the the sixth commandment, of hatred and anger, and apply that to the situation of abortion. Is it not hatred? That's at the root of it. Hatred at the circumstances of my life. Hatred for this person who did this to me. Hatred for me who did this. Hatred for this child who's now going to limit my life in such a way, change my life so radically. And ultimately, hatred against God. Who in His sovereignty willed this For my life, again, the sympathy and the compassion, beloved. But this is not the answer. It's not the way out, young people. Two wrongs don't make a right. Don't walk against sin against the seventh commandment in the first place. Your sin will find you out. But two wrongs don't make a right. The second instance 
or it may be a temptation, even for a child of God, to break this sixth commandment in this most extreme of ways in actually taking another life is in circumstances where one might be tempted to take their own life at their own hand. There are times, beloved, when due perhaps to one's own sins or the consequences of one's own sins, there are times when not due to that at all, just due to the difficulties of life, medical issues, pain that does not go away, circumstances that a person has put themselves in or circumstances they have had nothing to do with. Simply God and His sovereignty has given that to them. The temptation can be there. But this is the way out. This is the way to find peace. Oh, the sympathy that we must have for someone who is tempted by this. The kind of pain that they must endure to be tempted by this, beloved. And yet we have to say, don't we, that always this is sin before God. Always hatred lies at the root of it. I hate my life. I hate my looks, I hate my mind, or I hate my disease, or I hate my pain, or even sometimes I hate you and what you've done to me in my life. And in order to make you feel what you've done to me, I'm going to kill myself so that you bear the guilt of it for the rest of your life. Ultimately, in every case, I hate the circumstances that God has given to me and I hate God for doing it and I'm not going to bear it. Again, beloved, it's not the way out. Deep, deep sympathy that you must have for someone who is tempted by this. For the dire straits that even God's people may be in. But this is not the answer. He knows when it's time. And He will give grace. Daily grace. And with the help of the body of Jesus Christ around, will build you up and will sustain you. But actually taking a life is not the only revelation, outward revelation, of that hatred that lives inside of the old man, is it? And it's not the only revelation that breaks the sixth commandment. The catechism adds that wounding another or wounding oneself, even short of killing oneself, breaks the commandment. Whether that wounding is physical or emotional, whether it's through the use of physical force or words or actions. Wounding ourselves, even short of taking our own life, comes out of that same hatred in the heart. Out of hatred for my life or the circumstances of my life, drinking myself into a stupor. Finding food to be my God who will pacify me and strengthen me. 
giving myself over to it again and again and again until I, I wound my own life. Drugs, giving oneself over to drugs, wounding their own life. Cutting oneself. Oh, the sympathy. You do know why people cut themselves, right? It's because the pain in here is so great. That making pain in the body distracts the mind. So the mind's attention is paid to the pain of the body and it relieves the pain of the mind. Can you imagine being in such a state where that's a relief? No harsh words. Sympathy. And yet it's not the right way. It's not the right way. And there are other ways for help for you. To build you up, to strengthen you, to help you with the pain too. Not wounding yourself. Wounding others out of the hatred of the heart. With words, with actions. A husband laying his hand upon his wife in anger. A wife laying her hand upon her husband in anger. Parents beating their children out of anger. That's child abuse, not godly discipline. Instances of murderous expressions of the hatred of the heart that rises up and expresses itself as a release of the hatred and of the anger upon that other person. Children, what about a brother beating on his brother? Or a sister lashing out at her sister with her words, I hate you. It's murder rises out of hatred in the heart that this brother is limiting me in what I want or what I want to do or this sister is limiting me in what I am seeking. And it comes out of hatred ultimately against God who put that brother or sister next to me in the house. Words of murder spoken from a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband can be murderous, murderous words, sharp as knives, whose sole intent is to destroy, to hurt, to rip apart, to tear down words that come forth out of hatred to God for putting this person with their weaknesses in my life next to me. Anyway, in which we interact with another person in our lives and express this desire to destroy, desire to cut down, to break, and all how sometimes people can put a spiritual spin on it. I'm just trying to convict them of sin. You're going to a point beyond what the Scripture allows. Are you not trying to take the place of the Holy Spirit then? There's a thousand different ways to break this command, and all of us ought to be convicted in one way or another, so that even though we may not fall under those statistics at the beginning of the sermon, there's hatred in my heart. There's hatred in my nature. 
and it can come out. Oh God, what is the answer to this? What is the rescue from this? What's the answer to what's inside of me? What can possibly overcome this, God? And while God gives the power of the sword to the state to prevent the outward expression of murder, we had better be thankful for it. The only answer, beloved, that can overcome it in here is the sovereign, overpowering grace of Jehovah God himself in Jesus Christ. The sovereign power to plant new life in the heart. Without that, the hatred is just redirected in different areas or squashed down for a time until it comes out in that way. But it is the mighty love of Jehovah God for a sinner such as me, a murderer such as me, that works a change this deep in the heart. Only standing at the foot of the cross and looking up with the eye of faith to that one who hung there upon the cross, crucified and cursed for my murderous heart, my murderous words and actions. That is the only thing that will do it. Do you believe that? It is only in knowing that in him, All of my sins are forgiven. All of them. Yes, young person, even the sin of fornication as you lay it down before the foot of the cross. Even the sin of trying to cover up that fornication with the murder of your own offspring. Even the sin, church member, of contemplating the taking of your own life or going farther than that. Even the sin of of words that came out of your mouth that were intended to destroy, to cut, to kill, to tear down, to come to the foot of that cross and to open oneself and say, God, I'm a murderer. And to hear him say, I know it, my child, but I'm glad to hear you say it. Forgive me, God. I don't know why you would, but forgive me. And to hear him say, I forgive you, child. Because even murderers may find grace at the foot of this cross. It's a cross that's great enough to pay for the sins of the Apostle Paul who held the coats as Stephen was being stoned, who ransacked the homes of God's people, hailing them to prison and to worse. It's a cross that's great enough to satisfy the just wrath of God against the sin of David and the murder of Uriah. It's a cross that's great enough to cover the guilt for our murderous thoughts our murderous desires, our murderous words, actions, motions of our hearts, those murderous thoughts 
Those murderous words, actions, desires, motions of the heart are what sent him to that death. And yet by that death were freed from the guilt of those very things that put him there. And in this Jesus Christ, God treats us not as murderers, but as sons. He takes us into his own house. Who takes murderers into their own house? He takes them out of the house of bondage and brings them into his own home and says, you are now my son. I'm going to put my own life in you and increase that life more and more. I'm going to work in you a righteous hatred against the sin in your lives so that your hatred is not against me or against them. It's against that sin that remains in you. More and more that will be. I'll adopt you into my own family. I'll call you my child. And I'll call myself your father. Can you imagine? Murderers. Haters of others. Haters of him. Haters of self. Whom he calls sons and daughters. Upon whom he pours out his blessings. And then he tells us, that he planned this from all eternity and called us sons and daughters in Jesus Christ before he ever created anything and that he directed that everything in this world would lead us to find our place in his house. This alone can rescue us from ourselves, beloved. It is good to vote against the murder of unborn children. It is good to work for laws that would disallow that evil in a society. It is good to use whatever legitimate means are available to try to sustain good order in society, to be sure. But understand that nothing any government does No law that any government passes will ever rescue a man from his heart of murder within. It will never root it out in all of its trillions of forms. No legislation can do it. No amount of environmental change will overcome it within him. No church joining hands with the world to redeem the culture is ever going to accomplish it in a human being. No leaving the gospel behind to do something that we feel like is more important is going to fix the problem. The problem is in here ultimately and only the cross of Christ can change what is in here. The church, not society, is the hospital of the heart. And it is the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ that can rescue a man from the hatred in his own heart. in part now and in full then. And when the Holy Spirit does the regenerating and and justifying and sanctifying work of God, the result is that we begin to reflect that love that has been shown to us. We reflect it back to God, first of all, so that the hatred for God that was at the root of all of my breaking of the sixth commandment is being taken away 
and love for this God is replacing it more and more. How can I not love this God who has forgiven me for all my murderous sins at the cost of submitting His own Son to eternal wrath for my sake? He's sovereignly changed my relationship to Him now. And changing this, it affects things this way too. Now I can love the neighbor for God's sake. No matter who he is or what he's done to me or how he makes me feel, I can begin to seek his good. I can begin to use my words to pray for him instead of to tear him to bits. I can show mercy. Even if he doesn't show mercy to me. Because I was merciless to him. And he showed mercy to me. I can even begin to love myself in a right way. I'm not talking about the world's self-esteem. I'm talking about a Christian esteem of self. I recognize that he made me. And that he put these gifts inside of me and not others. And he gave me this place in life. And he loves me. And I can begin to see everything he does in his sovereignty in my life is in love for me. And even when he limits my life and my desires and what I want by this person or by these circumstances, it's because he loves me. How in the wide world did David do what he did? In 2 Samuel 16. Here is this man as he's fleeing from Absalom down in the, in the gorge. This man, Shimei, is running along the ridge and he's tossing stones and dirt and cursing him. And Abishai wants to go off and lop, lop off his head. No. The Lord said, curse David. It may be that the Lord will requite to me. The Lord is using this for my good. You see? Viewed through the cross, I can see His sovereignty as love for me, even when it limits me. And even if I don't understand it, and even if it hurts, my mind can go there. God put this in my life. God put that person in my life. And it melts the anger away and the hatred. And I can love him. That's a rescue. That's a rescue from here out. In fact, it's utterly astounding. And though we always deal with the old man all our life long, he's working in us by this gospel. And one day, will perfect his righteousness in us. Remove all hatred, anger, evil. It'll be banished from within us and from around us. And all that will be in us and around us is the light of the knowledge of his love. World without end. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearing. Strengthen us under the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.